Welcome to another episode of Infinity X, where we give a stage and microphone to human excellence in the pursuit of never-ending opportunities and merging ecosystems with world-renowned entrepreneurs and influencers. Now, here's your host, David Harder. From the production studios of Epic Financial Strategies here in Red Bank, New Jersey, we are Infinity X, giving a stage and microphone to human excellence in the infinite pursuit of creating massive sales opportunities by hearing from megapreneurs. And tonight is absolutely no different. Tonight, we are fortunate enough to have Alan Draper joining us. Alan, are you there, brother? Yes, sir. How are we doing? I'm doing great, man. How are you doing down in the ATL? Uh, doing good. Arizona, actually. Arizona. Oh, okay. No, I saw a picture of you with the Atlanta hat on, so I wasn't sure if you were over in Atlanta. Or I'm not. a huge Braves fan. Yep. Spent some time there during the World Series, but reside in Arizona. Congratul- nice. Congratulations, man. What was it like? First, uh, first championship quite a while. Yep. Yep. It's been, you know, since 95, so 16, you know, years or whatever, but uh, sorry, 26 years. Jeez. Yep. Yeah. Uh, it's awesome. Were you actually able to be there in person? Yeah. So I went to games three and four um, in Atlanta and uh, really splurged on game four. I sat right behind the Braves dugout. So yeah. What was that like? That was amazing. It was amazing when I was telling my wife how much I was going to spend on that one ticket. She asked me (laughs) like if I, she's like, okay, before you do this, like, Hey, you know, are you, if they lose, are you going to regret it? And I, I said, well, <laughs> what I'm going to regret more is if they win and I don't do it. So Amen. luckily yep. they won both games three and four. And so successful trip. I'm ref- I'm reminded of um, goodwill hunting where in the scene where Robin Williams says, listen, I got to go see about a girl. I guess you, uh, you already had that taken care of. So you had to go see about a game, right? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah. Uh, that's fantastic. Well, folks, thank you so much for joining us this evening. This is Alan Draper. You can find him on Instagram at alandraper.com or at alandraper or his website, alandraper.com. Now, Alan, I have a question for you. Your wife was yeah. saying, hey, is this going to be a good in business investment, right? From an ROI perspective, right? You're going to get a massive ROI on this from the standpoint of memory, right? But, yeah. you know, uh, you know, in your world, you're a, you're, you're a, not only a, a, a peak performance uh, you know, uh, influencer, uh, but you provide coaching guidance and have successfully launched your own personal businesses, multiple businesses from what, mm-hmm. uh, from what I've seen. And I want to dive really, really deep into that because, you know, in the environment that we're in economically, it's a challenge right now. Inflation is massive. Capital is not as easy to come by, right? So if you're going to launch a business or if you're going to reinvest back into a business, it, uh, it could be a scary time, right? And we see it on our side over here at financial, you know, at Epic Financial Strategies in the financial services arena. So I want to go really, really deep into that. Uh, but I want to let everybody kind of get to know Alan Draper, the person. So just uh, share with us, if you wouldn't mind, where you're from, where you grew up, and what your experience was like coming up. Yeah, so I grew up in a small farming town on the eastern side of Oregon. So it's actually closer to Boise, Idaho. And oh, wow. Yeah, it's a lot more like Idaho than it is like Oregon. Um, <laughs> but I grew up in a farming community, uh, grew up, um, you know, hustling. I, I think my first job was, you know, mowing lawns and, and shoveling snow when I was probably eight, nine years old. I moved into a paper route. I delivered newspapers for a while. But I always had a job since I was about eight or nine before high school. Um, every day. And I was in, involved in baseball, football, basketball. But before high school, I would go to the local bakery and I'd fry donuts at 5 a.m., go home, shower, oh, wow. go to school, go to football practice, yeah. go home, rinse and repeat. Um, and I just, you, you know, growing up, I I just always had this, um, this determination and this drive to uh, build businesses. And um, I, I, ended up going to school for a long time. I ended up getting a law degree, practiced law for a few years in the Phoenix metro area with a large firm. Um, and it wasn't terrible. Um, I, I like being a business owner a lot, a lot more than I like being an attorney, but um, kind of set the stage for um, me being able to uh, work through some issues and start a business and, and eventually get to where I am today. Incredible. 
I heard a lot there. And um, now, where, did you did your family actually run a farm, or was it just a farming community? Like, what what type of uh, economic background was that? Was that like? Yeah. So my my dad was a car repairman. Uh, he sold mm-hmm. tractors on and off, but um, it was mostly my friends who owned farms, like their parents. And so I'd go help them, you know, pull weeds. I picked asparagus. I worked in onion fields, things like that. Uh, you know, I always share uh, with my clients and I share on this on our podcast quite frequently that, uh, you know, growing up, neither my partner nor I uh, had, a, you know, we didn't come from family of means necessarily. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, the relationship with uh, with money economically was a little bit one. It was a little scarce. Right. It wasn't certainly wasn't one of abundance. Um, what mm-hmm. was the what was the economic attitude like in the town that you grew up in? Yeah, I grew up in a town where it actually gets smaller over time. Right? <laughs> yeah. It's it's it doesn't exist in a lot of places, but it gets smaller. We lose jobs, um, you know, businesses. There's just not enough people there to to be sustainable. And you know what's funny is that people don't really leave, which makes it makes me wonder how it doesn't grow, but it doesn't. It, you know, there's one stoplight in the town I grew up. There's no Walmart or McDonald's or anything like that. And people that are from there, typically they have a pretty low ceiling. Right. And so it took me going out into the world and, and especially reading, reading is where I started to realize that I have infinite potential within me and growing up in a small town where people don't really leave and they don't really leave the farm and, you know, they'll maybe work for a local factory or something mindset was everything. And I tripped into it just because I loved learning about money and, and entrepreneurship. Yeah. But what I got most from it was this idea that the only limits that I have are going to be put on by myself. Incredible. Incredible. And what was the first, what, what, if you could date back to that book or a book that you read that really kind of opened up those doors and said, okay, you know what? I really, really have to expand um, my self mastery and decrease those limiting beliefs. Was there one book that you would attribute that to? Um, you know, it might've been um, rich dad, poor dad, yeah, which is super sure. cliche. Yep. It's super cliche, but Back then, it really struck a chord with me. Um, just kind of j- j- the story was was similar in a lot of ways, um, where he had a you know he had his biological father who was you know um, for all you know all the great qualities that he had, he wasn't necessarily a large financial or business thinker, um, and and I think it just kind of planted that that idea that. You know, you can come from very little. Um, you know, I grew up. Uh, there's there's six of us, so eight mm. eight people in a in a three bedroom house with one bathroom oh, is yeah. how I grew up. And there's oh, yeah. people that have it way worse. And 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 I don't like to use it as a crutch or anything. I I I would do it again if it yeah. if it kind of gave me that uh, perspective of you know you 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 can um, come from wherever and you can build something great. That's amazing. That's amazing. So, um, folks, this is Alan Draper, alandraper.com, at Alan Draper on Instagram. If you have a question for Alan, please put it in the chat. And so, Alan, so you're in a small town, right? I know mm-hmm. one, one traffic light, right? But mm-hmm. you, you're a hustler. You're a grinder. You got the entrepreneurial spirit just oozing out of you, right? And then um, you identified that you wanted to, you know, be able to cultivate the unique talents and gifts that you had. Now, what drove you to law? Why, why, why did that um, kind of map itself out as the initial path that you were going to be taking? Yeah, I mean, I think when I was a little kid, um, you know, there were some famous law TV shows, right? Yeah, and, yeah. and I would watch them in my small farming community. And it's like, wow, look at the life they live. Like that guy has a Mercedes or whatever I remember thinking. <laughs> and so I, I, I think it just, it just developed in me and it started there. And obviously I ended up going into the law for a bunch of different, um, a bunch of different reasons than I had oriz- originally, you know, obtained the idea. But I think that goes to show how, 
important visualization is, right? So for years, I imagined myself as an attorney wearing those suits and driving those cars. And it was so powerful that as, as an adult and as I went through my undergrad, it stuck with me long enough at least to look into the other benefits of the law. Um, a lot of which I still retain, um, you know, a lot of my connections, um, a lot of the way that I process um, this linear and logical thinking pattern. I obtained all that in law school um, and practicing law, but um, you know, it, and it's, it's not a, it's not a bad field, but there, there is a lot of limiting beliefs in being a, mm -hmm. an attorney. You know, I practice litigation and I represented plaintiffs in contract disputes. And so basically when one business didn't keep an agreement with another business, I came in and I, I sued the, you know, offending business and yeah. what, what happened. And I noticed this was happening with my mindset. I only got cases and, and read about situations where things went wrong in business. Mm. Right. Yep. I went, when, when thing, when businesses were making money, when partnerships were working out great, when things were being invented and ideas created, I wasn't involved in that process. I was right, only involved no in litigation. Challenges. Yeah. Right. And, and that beat me down to the point where I was like, what, what's going on? That's not who I am. I'm an entrepreneur in my heart. And, and that's through that process, I developed, you know, this, this momentum of, you know, creating a business and breaking free. And, and, you know, that I love that. And thank you so much for sharing that. That's incredible. Um, when, when were the telltale signs that you were going to have to explore a different path? Um, you know, was there a, was there a case in point? Was there a time like, like what time frame was it that you made the decision that you were going to start to explore other, you know, business opportunities? Yeah. So I actually started investing in real estate in 2006, which okay. as everybody knows is, you know, the worst time possible. Right. Yeah. yeah um, yeah. and, um, that's kind of when I got started in real estate, but, um, then I went to law school, practice law for a while. And, um, my brother was involved in a pest control business and, um, he was parting ways with his, with his partner. They decided to go different, different directions and so it kind of brought um, this idea up of, of us doing something together, which we had talked about back in 2006 before I went to law school, but it didn't work out. And so, so my first business, I mean, technically it was, you know, in real estate, but um, besides that, my first business was in pest control of all things. Mm. Mm. Now, uh, I, I want to play in that space for a second because there's a lot of money in pest control. I'm aware of that. But uh, when you were um, when you were investing, are you still investing in real estate currently? I am. Yep. Are I you? actually close on a house in uh, uh, an Airbnb in uh, next week. Oh, fantastic. And what and, and obviously Airbnb wasn't uh, what it was back then mm -hmm. today. Right. Um, but what was what was your mindset? And what was the vertical that you were looking at in real estate? Was it income producing? Was it fix and flip? What were you looking to do? Yeah, so it was single family, um, long term hold. Um, so it was uh, and this the, the one that I'm purchasing next week is my first Airbnb. All of my um, I have both commercial and uh, residential, uh, property, but they're all long-term leases. Excellent. Excellent. And <clears throat> I want to plan, I want to plan that space in a, in a little bit because now is an incredible mm -hmm. time to financially position yourself. Well, to have leverage, to be able to make real estate transactions. It's one of the best times that I can remember, but, um, you know, as, as of people are thinking of all things, pest control, take us a little bit deeper into, you know, what it was like to launch, a pest can, and was this in 2008 and 2007? When exactly was it that, that, that company launched? Yeah. So we launched in 2014, actually. In 2014. So, I'm sorry. Yep. Okay. I, I was, I'm, yep. I got the time frames wrong a little bit. So you launched it yep. in 2014. What was the startup? Did you just did you walk away from your, your from the, the law altogether to go dive deep into the pest control? What did that look like? Yeah, that's an interesting question because that move changed the trajectory of my life because I was practicing law here in Phoenix. Yep. And but we opened our first pest control branch in Detroit, Michigan. Whoa. Why Detroit? Yeah. So we we thought that that was based on our skill set which was certain marketing strategies and tools. We thought that was best uh, the best market in the United States for us. Hmm. Um which which is interesting. It's and we've done very well there. Um 
but it was it was me moving out of my environment that allowed me to be successful. And here's why. Mm. There were times when I was getting the business off the ground when I wanted to quit almost every day for probably three or four months straight. And I'm, yeah. I'm not exaggerating, at least once a day. Yep. But the problem was I didn't have a law license in Michigan. <laughs> I didn't want to move my family with my two young sons all the way back to Arizona with my tail in between my legs. Yeah. And so when I wanted to quit, and I would just, you know what, I'd take a break for a few hours, try to get my head right. I knew that I couldn't. I knew that I couldn't quit. And when I started it, it was just me and my brother, right? So, so I went from practicing law one day to um, treating homes yeah. the next. Yeah, and my, sure. you know who had the hardest time understanding what I was doing was my law school classmates. They, sure. they had a hard time. They're like, wait a minute, let me get this straight. Like, you're going to practice a well-paying like legal job <laughs> and you're going to go spray houses. Yeah. Yeah. And, sure. and I think one of, one of the things I was blessed with was, was perspective. And some people say that maybe a little too much. Um, I'm very optimistic and I can envision um, where my life is going to be five, six years down the road, 10 years down so the let's, road. Yeah. And let's pause here. Cause I'm hearing this, I'm hearing the brain science left and right here. And for all you entrepreneurs that are on here on, on, uh, on the, on the cast tonight, put your questions for Alan in the chat. I definitely want to recognize you because Alan, correct me if I'm mistaken in what I'm about to say, right? But most folks don't necessarily envision um, a life in pest control necessarily, right? I have many friends who have done very, very well in pest control, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. what they had envisioned. And it's not necessarily because they want to go find the bugs, right? It's because they see the vertical and the opportunity in the business. So what was it about the pest control business, the Detroit marketplace and the analytics that you saw that said, hey, I could turn this into something that is massively profitable? Well, there's things about pest control that a a lot of people don't understand. It's not a sexy business, right? It's one of those businesses that your job is best done when your customers are not thinking about you at all, which is, which is interesting, but it's, it's very, um, recession proof. It, um, there's recurring revenue, Mm -hmm. which, which is a huge thing. Um, it's not a super sophisticated business, right? I'm not building rockets, and so I can go into, into a market and I can disrupt it pretty quickly without relatively a lot of uh, backing, financial backing, and without a, a lot of technology. You, you go in there and you work hard and you, and you market well, and you can really dis, disrupt uh, you know, a, a market. And, um, and we were able to do that. So I saw how they could scale. Um, I saw, I, I like pest control originally because of that scalability and because of the vision that I had. And I knew I wouldn't get bogged down in the details, which happens with a lot of people, right? If you have a baker, they love, you know, they love the cooking and they love being in the kitchen and mixing stuff together. For me, I just love the industry. So I was continually from the beginning replacing myself, which, which made it an actual business and not a job. Mm. Mm. I love that. And at what point did you um, hit that crossover? Because I mean, obviously the first, you know, you mentioned the first three months, it's a grind launching any business is going to be a grind. You want to quit every single day, been there, done that. I know that feeling like the back of my hand. When did you start to see the crossover point and the kind of like the light at the end of the tunnel? Hey, I could actually really start to scale this upward and I'm going to need to start thinking about ways that I can replace myself. Yeah. So, I mean, I had that vision from the beginning. So when we were still, you know, we were doing maybe 10, 10 grand a a month in, in revenue, I was already hiring. And a lot of people thought I was moving too fast, but I was already replacing myself. Uh, And and what I do in that process is I'm always trying to, um, as a, as business, as a business owner, I'm always trying to put myself in a position where I add the most value to my businesses. And it's not because I'm above certain jobs or I'm better than them, or I don't like them. That's not the reason. The reason is because I, I, I'm, I'm responsible for certain things as a business owner. I'm responsible for making sure that I provide a great place to work for people that could be proud of what they do and making sure that they get paid and that they can progress in order for me to do that. I have to build and scale companies. Um, if a, if a company's stagnant, 
the people aren't going to have additional opportunities. And so it was actually super early on within the first week or two of opening our doors, I was looking for help. Wow. And did you have concern going into that, um, that economic environment, right? Because Detroit, it, it was it in center city, Detroit, was it like in the actual city or was it in the suburban or what was it? Yeah. So it was, uh, it was in the suburbs a little bit, but, um, you know, right there in Wayne County. Um, and that's one of the reasons we went there actually is because of that stigma. Our research showed us that Detroit was a very, um, there were parts of Detroit that were actually very wealthy and there were a lot mm. of businesses that were avoiding it because of what happened in, you know, 2007, 2008. Yep. And so that's one of the main reasons why, why we went there. I love that. All you entrepreneurs, you need to be listening to this. This is massive. He's talking about market set, you know, market survey, right? Demographic research, right? Where is the effective place to launch a business? Where there's where is there going to be demand and where is it recession proof? This is magical. So did you have boots on the ground there? How did you do that research? Um, you know, before you actually went ahead and launched? No, we just did what we could online. Um, we did um, my partner, who's my brother, um, he went there and he, you know, checked out some of the area that, you know, we thought we would initially target. Yep. Um, but most of it was, was, was done online and, and with what was, you know, happening in the news. And we were keeping track of a couple of key competitors and seeing what they were doing there. Mm. And, um, we also looked into, um, markets that had certain companies that weren't in Detroit. Um, which, which was actually what helped us pull the trigger was seeing who wasn't there. So some of the big name players, right? It's people that are going to be, yeah, absolutely. They're going to be, you know, competition to you as you, as you build and scale. And so what happened next, right? So you, you get through Mm -hmm. the first year, were you profitable year Mm -hmm. one? You know what? We tried to accelerate depreciation and, um, we, we did such a good job that, that we made a couple of bucks year one, (laughs) uh, fantastic. Uh, we tried, we tried not to, but, and it wasn't much, it was 30 grand or something. And it, it was with me and uh, my brother, both working on the business, which is a little different now. Um, but, but yeah, we, you know, we made profit year one, um, that encouraged us to expand to Boston year two. Mm. Um, and, and from there we just, you know, uh, expanded in kind and into different industries and all sorts of things. Share with the folks online why you tried to expand the, or accelerate the depreciation in year one. So, so for us, um, we, we were wanting, you know, we didn't want that tax liability year one. Yep. We, we, wanted, um, we wanted to uh, accelerate the depreciation so that we could uh, reinvest what we would have been paying in taxes into scaling the company. Um, so, you, you know, it's, it's usually there's depreciation schedules or whatever that are traditionally followed. And we kind of pushed up as much as the, co- the code would allow us push that depreciation up so that our tax liability was as little as possible year one, which you end up paying for down the road. But we thought that that was a wise decision so that we had that cash flow to invest into other markets. Absolutely. Cash flows can, right? And the ability to, to, because the ROI that you get on redeployment into a business that's scaling upward is massively greater than donating Crazy. income taxation. It's insane, right? To the, to the Fed. So then you move over into the Boston market. What was, mm-hmm. what was that transition like going into, you know, probably a, 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 a more, I'll call it thriving economy yeah. at that particular point? Yeah, absolutely. A completely different market. Um, we really, it really punched us in the face. <laughs> to be honest, we, we, cause we were just getting comfortable, um, with, with the Detroit market and, um, you know, Boston's a lot more white collar, super educated. Um, the dollar doesn't go as far there as it does in Detroit. And so we had to adjust to that econ- separate is a completely different economy. We were charging, mm-hmm. you know, 20, 20% higher for the same service. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we, we had to, you know, think quickly and, and move quickly. But that's one of the things that we loved about that market. And that we love to this day. Have you franchised that model or have you just stayed independent? No. So we've, we've been approached several times uh, with franchise offers. Um, a lot of people think we're a franchise um, just because of our marketing and, our, and the brand development that we have and the way that we've been able to scale. Um, but um, we grow mostly through, um, just reinvesting retained earnings and 
Um, we, we will take on an occasional partner that, that can contribute in, in ways that we don't have, you know, specific systems for usually via marketing, um, that can help us scale quickly. Um, but a lot of it now is, you know, um, we've, we've got systems, we've got the financial backing just, you know, from cash flow to where we can do pretty much whatever we want to keep pace with our, with our vision. So we add two to three branches each year. Um, we're at, uh, eight branches now in seven States. Uh, we added long Island, New York and Reno, Nevada last year. Mm. And so we're slowly starting to dot the United States. Love it. I love it. And so, um, folks again, comment, uh, comments or questions in the chat. We actually do have a question that came in from, uh, Nikhil Bond. Uh, congratulations on your first Airbnb. Who's your number one mentor or coach? Um, you, we can touch on that now, or we can hit, I want to hit real estate at a later point, but would you say that you do have an Airbnb coach or somebody that's a mentor or coach to you, Alan? So, I mean, I, I try to surround myself with, with successful people and I try to be the dumbest person in the room regarding whatever <laughs> yeah. topic. Yeah. And so I've surrounded myself with, it's not, you know, with a few friends of mine that have done it and been very successful. Um, people that I know from other areas. And, and so that's, who's kind of, um, they're kind of helping me. Um, you know, they're providing lists of things that I'm going to need, right. Cause I have to furnish it and have all these supplies and all these things that I'm not used to with my, uh, long-term lease strategies. But, um, I, I feel like I'm in a position that no matter what industry I get into to some degree, um, I know somebody that I can call and I can say, Hey, walk me through some of this stuff. I'm going to need you to hold my hand for the first month or two. Like, where should I price this and things like that? So, um, a lot of times our best mentors and mentor mentorship is a topic I'm very passionate about, but a lot of times our best mentors aren't guys like Grant Cardone and Gary V. Right. Um, with a lot of things, those guys are, those guys are out of touch. They, they Hmm. don't, they don't understand, right. They have layers upon layers upon layers of people. And so for them to give me advice, it would be, you know, with, with this type of specific thing. And so I would recommend that people look to those that are around them, right. And, and try to build those relationships. And I had already provided value to these two um, friends of mine in different ways so that I was positioned where I needed help. I needed something in return so that I could ask for it and they would happily give it. So to, in order to acquire a mentor, it, it is a quid pro quo, right? It's this for that. It's mm. an exchange. And it's better to start thinking about mentors and mentorship before you need it. Hmm. Because by the time you need it, you may not have the time or the resources to invest in, into that mentorship in order to receive what you need in return. But if I'm working on it before I need something, Plus that just puts you in a lot better spot because the mentor right. is not just looking at you as like, oh, okay, this guy's just trying to get something from me. Right. Right. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. Thank you, Nikhil, for the question, folks. If you have a question for Alan, please put it in the chat. We are infinity X Alan Draper.com at Alan Draper on Instagram. So Alan, when, when the business, when the pest control business became not only stable, but became really, really wildly successful and profitable, what happened next? When did you, when did you break out into your, what vent business venture did you break into next? So, um, so from, so from pest control, we, we kind of doubled down on, on real estate. We started buying some commercial buildings. Um, and, um, from there I got into uh, podcasting. Mm. Um, I have a podcast. I actually have two, one is called the business growth pod. Yep. Um, this general, um, business, um, strategy and advice. Um, and then I have the bug bucks podcast that is for the pest control industry. Very popular podcast. And have you, and is that specifically podcast or did you put that on a, onto a clubhouse also? So we do, um, bug bucks, uh, groups on clubhouse, um, mm-hmm. on Monday nights. Um, that's a lot, a lot less formal. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so we went from there, um, from pest control and then, and then we started, you know, we, we own a collection of about 23 companies now. Um, it, we own operating companies, um, um, that help facilitate services for pest control companies. Uh, we own a, a software company, 
Uh, we developed a software that uh, is an integration platform um, that's really starting to take off. I own a digital marketing agency. Um, so got, got my hand in quite a few different things. You sure do. Yeah, success leaves clues. So you you moved into commercial real estate, and that was that was that a specific discipline that you had, or you know, like what what led you? What was your dynamic and angle when you were moving into into commercial investment? Well, I think um, more than anything, it was all of the leases that I have across the United States. Right, I pay yeah. so much in commercial leases. Um, and, and we're continuing, we're looking at purchasing two buildings, uh, in 2022, one in Detroit and one in, uh, Long Island, New York, um, to help mostly with taxes. But, mm -hmm. um, it, it was a lot different because I, I also own the companies that would lease the property. So I own separate real estate holding companies sure. that own it. But yep. then I lease it to the companies that I control, right? So I can yep. I can sign a you know 10, 15, 20 year lease and pretty much double the value of that prop property overnight. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the ultimate hack, right? <laughs> and uh, you know, and then you mentioned that you own a a, a, a is it a software technology or information technology? That, uh, yeah, so it's a it's a software um, platform called Rana Hub. And basically what it does is it takes a CRM, um, it takes a voice over IP phone, any type of marketing, um, like a AdWords or any type of marketing platform, and it combines it into one platform. What we noticed is uh, with some of our companies, the customer service reps, we're always switching back and forth between tabs for these different platforms, which are super important to run a business. And we just created it, um, this integration platform that we use the API from the different, you know, voice over IP for the CRM. And it just merges it all into one so that I have my marketing platform, my, my phone, any type of uh, chat um, system, and then my CRM into one platform so they can do everything from right there. Folks, you're hearing constant innovation. You're hearing constant growth. You're hearing the chess pieces being put in place to make a company and a brand holistically recession-proof. I absolutely love it, Alan. That's incredible. And so where do you see this scaling upwards towards, right? Now, your current positioning, you're owner of multiple businesses. You have successful podcasts, business consulting, as well as uh, consulting and uh, expansion in the pest control arena. Where do you see expanding to? Yeah. So, I mean, my, my, you know, one of the reasons why I feel like I was put on this planet, at least for, from a professional standpoint is to, um, start and scale companies. That's what I'm passionate about. That's what I, um, get up in the morning for that's, that's what I consider to be one of my hobbies. I would do it if I didn't get paid. And in a lot of cases I don't get paid. I help people, um, do this. My, my end game is when people come to me, and they're like, Hey, Alan, I have a, you know, I need some help with this, finding financing, or organizing structure of my business, or maybe some legal issues or whatever. Um, I'll pick and choose certain companies and I'll pitch them. I'll say, Hey, bring me on board. I'll help you with this. I'll help you solve that problem. And I'm pretty picky of about, you know, every hundred companies that business owners that come to me, I'm interested in probably, you know, three to five of those, but I've found um, some great business relationships through that platform of, um, you know, just, just scaling, uh, my current companies, but, you know, I, you know, for me, I want to own, um, you know, by the, in the, in the next 10, 15 years, I want to own a hundred, uh, companies that have at least a, a million, a minimum of a million dollars, uh, market cap. Um, and then I have specific goals for the partners in the next five years. I want to have at least 10 partners that I've helped become millionaires. I'm at, I'm at number four or five right now. Ooh, I love yeah. it. I love it. Congratulations on the scale, you know, and now is that, is that you want to be a hundred percent outright owner or do you want to, how many equity partners do you want to have in those companies? No. So I'll have, I, I love working with partners. Another topic I'm, I'm very passionate about, um, um, and part and partnerships require a lot of work. It's a lot like a marriage yeah, or a long-term relationship. It's, yep. it's, it's a lot of butterflies and sunshine in the beginning. And then it, the hard work comes and people start to second guess themselves. So I own some businesses. I own a couple of real estate holding companies on my own. I, um, you know, do some consulting on my own, things like that. But most of my businesses 
I have partners with. And if without my partners, without my brother, without some of my other partners, there's no way that I'm where I am today. And so I want to be that for other people. So when people approach me and they're like, Hey, I'm looking for money. I'm looking for, you, you know, somebody sit on board of directors. I'm looking for, for whatever help with marketing. Um, in, in a lot of cases, I'll take a minority share and, and just help them get to the next level. Let's, I want to key on, on something that you shared, uh, marketing, you know, so number one, <clears throat> what is, you know, when did you kind of branch over because you're experiencing a good amount of success on social media, right? Um, you know, 30,000 plus subscribers to the, on, on Instagram, et cetera. What, what do you see the largest growth verticals for your social media wise, if that is a focal point of yours? And, and part two to that question is when did you really start to double down efforts in those, in those specific marketing models? Yeah. So, so I'm looking for younger entrepreneurs. I'm looking for Gen Z and, and younger millennials. That's kind mm-hmm. of my, my target. I, I want to help startups. I, I'm really passionate about the early, early phases. Um, Why is that by the way, Alan? Why so passionate about the early phases? I just love it. I love the unknown. I love that moment when you, ha- you realize you have a sinking feeling in your stomach because you don't know if it's going to work out. Mm. I, I love oh, yeah. that. And with some of my companies, I don't have that anymore. There's yeah. n- there, the, the, the risk is all but gone. Yep. And, and I, I just crave that. I crave, um, I crave the, the early building process. Where, where do you see people tripping up? I mean, er, early on, I think, um, People don't spend enough time focusing on core values and vision. I think they're so worried, and I get it, but I think they're so worried about keeping the lights on that they don't think about 10 years down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sometimes they'll sell themselves short. I think Tony Robbins is, is known for saying, we, we overestimate what we can accomplish in one year and we underestimate what we can accomplish in five. Five, and, yep. And that's right. the sweet spot yep. for me is focusing on the five and 10 year um, plan. And I think early entrepreneurs, um, have a hard time with that. Um, I, I think early entrepreneurs have a hard time, um, developing systems early on and, and keeping track of where they went right and where they went wrong. Um, again, because there's this frenzy, right. And I'm going through it right now. I have two startups that, you know, we launched within the last couple of months and I get to relive it. Right. And so Mm -hmm. I'm learning again, um, for the, you know, 15th time that there you got to get those processes in place and you've got to spend. And another thing is they're not early entrepreneurs don't pay for good help. Interesting. Oh, okay. And is that, is that because of fear? Is that because of poor planning? What's that? What's what attributes to that? I think a couple of things. I think it's a lack of funds. I think it's being short-sighted. I think they'll have a budget and they'll say, Hey, I'm going to put, you know, 90% of this into marketing or even systems um, and where they should really put it to some degree is in, in personnel, especially in this labor market with the inflation is what it is, yep. the great resignation. Mm-hmm. Um, um, t- and I, I think it's going to get worse. It, we, yep. we are always hiring. I always have, you know, 20 plus vacancies in between my companies and, and so, you know, I'm starting to realize that. So we're trying to get in front of that. And I, so I think early entrepreneurs don't realize that they're not the ones that are going to build their company. They're the ones that build the vision, but the people they surround themselves with are going to build their company. Yep, absolutely. And Alan, if you were, um, I mean, obviously you're starting up companies right now, but if you were tasked with one specific business market to start a company in, what would it be? Why would it be? Uh, industry? Yeah. Um, I would do some type of home service business. I would probably do, I would probably do pest control, but if not pest control, you know, landscaping, window washing, house cleaning, some type of home service business, especially in this crazy inflationary environment that we're in. Um, I, I, I would try to get something a little stable, especially if it's my first business so that I can have cash flow to fund um, the rest of what I'm trying to accomplish. And what would be your marketing plan? Would it be all social media based? Would, I mean, is that, is that door knocking? Because I mean, in, you know, with, mm-hmm. in the, in, in the area where I live, I still get a lot of door knocks for pest mm-hmm. control as, as an example, like what would be your marketing strategy? Yeah. So if it were pest control, I would do a combination, but I would definitely, um, get some door to door, 
sales personnel. Um, but I would do a mix. I would do some digital marketing, um, social media. I wouldn't spend a bunch of time on it. People don't really like looking at bugs when they're scrolling through their Instagram feed. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they want to look at shoes or a funny dance video and there's ways to get creative with it. But I would spend early on, I would spend it, um, mostly on door-to-door contact, um, and, and digital marketing early on, you're focused a lot more on top line revenue, um, versus brand development, which we're starting to get into. We we're starting to get into billboards and, and road signs and things like that. Alan Draper, alandraper.com. We are infinity X given stages and microphones to human excellence. If you have a question for Alan, please put it into the chat. And so Alan, you keep, you keep going back to inflation. I totally identify with that. Have you Mm -hmm. seen supply chain uh, challenges in, and, and what is, what have been your pivots to maintain and offset inflationary pressures? Yeah. So, so there are definitely some supply chain issues right now. Um, and I think what's important is that the businesses and the entrepreneurs have good relationships with their vendors, um, because they're relying on their vendors to supply them with whatever they need to conduct their business. And because of our relationship with some of our vendors, we've been able to avoid some of those pitfalls that are being caused by the shortages and, um, supply chain issues right now. Um, another thing is, um, and, and look at, I can, I can say you should be, be prepared for anything until I'm blue in the face, but none of us were ready for COVID. I don't care who mm-hmm. we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but be, be ready for something and be ready to pivot, have, have options. Um, you know, cause there, there, I've seen some companies do amazing things during COVID, right? We've seen restaurants that have started doing curbside and they've started doing delivery and they've, they've pivoted, right? They didn't yep. lose track of their core competency but they weren't afraid to change. So that, that would kind of be my, you know, my top tip is, is make sure that you're okay. And, and change becomes part of your company culture. Um, Because even during good times, it's important that we change and adapt so that we continue to get better. I I, thank you for sharing that. It's a good access point also, because you're right. Not a lot of people were prepared for COVID. We at, at our firm, we experienced a massive acceleration in our in our relationships, our relationship capital, our sales opportunities, and COVID. I hate to say, I mean, but it was one of the best things that ever happened to us, right? Because interestingly enough, our firm. Just um, a little background: our firm, based upon some ecosystems and relationships that we have, was able to measure, monitor, and scale um, over the course of about a twenty-four month period of time. Uh, what I would call eight qualified sales opportunities and sales conversations on a month over month basis and qualified is, is, is a loose term, but um, uh, you know, from our standards, Uh, but we, we were able to scale from eight to this coming month. We might knock on the door of anywhere between six to 800 sales conversations, you know, Hmm. and, and the, and the reason for that is because we had a, we, uh, you know, from a scaling and visionary perspective, we had identified that the services that we provide to your point are recession proof, but we had the ability to create relationships with specific ecosystems that could, that could drive conversations to us. An example of that, you'd mentioned real estate investing. Um, we do a ton of work with real estate investors. And one of the reasons that we do a ton of work with real estate investors, number one, is because it requires cash flow, right? It requires startup capital or capital in general to be able to deploy into these strategies. But because of inflation, right? Specifically, if I'm taking a dollar to invest into a property, I've lost liquidity on that dollar, number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and number two, even, even the, the rental income that is produced from the property that I'm buying uh, might not necessarily be massively uh, you know, net positive cash flow wise. So what's an alternative to that? Well, an alternative to that is setting up insurance strategies, right? Leverage against insurance strategies to be able to borrow against buy property and have your money continuing to work for you in a different garden, right? That is just one specific example. And I think that the entrepreneur in people really started to show up during COVID, right? And when people were at home because they were fearing for their jobs, um, you know, they were just, they were questioning, 
almost everything about, you know, what True. their values were and what their core values were. And so as a result, when they were seeking these opportunities and they were seeking partners in things such as real estate investment, those partners were also introducing them to our services. And so the uptick in opportunity was just absolutely massive. Did you have kind of like that same experience? Um, I mean, I, obviously, again, COVID hit everybody through everybody for a loop, but yeah. did you find people searching you out for startup opportunities during the COVID time at a higher scale? Yeah, there's definitely uh, this movement where people are starting to question things. I, I think they're questioning all sorts of things in a pandemic, right? We're questioning, you know, what we believe, what our relationships are like, but the, along those same lines, they're questioning, um, you know, if, if what they're doing is fulfilling, and mm, yep. um, no, it's, it's, it's been, it's been crazy. And there's so much opportunity right now, which is, which is interesting, but people are, they're questioning a little more. And, and I like that. And, and sometimes they don't take the leap, right? Starting a business isn't necessarily for everybody. Um, but I have definitely noticed that um, people are, you know, with, with increased flexibility of, of jobs, right? So many people working from home or doing yep. some type of flex schedule. Um, they're like, you know, there, there are questions that arise about, Hey, why weren't we doing this earlier? If, if, if we can do this and maybe I can spend, you know, I don't have this hour commute that saves me, you know, 10 hours a week. Like maybe I can put that into a side hustle. And, and so there, there is definitely this concept, this idea that's, that's, getting, you know, that people are catching on to that, Hey, there's, there's some opportunity out there. I think a lot of businesses are moving towards using contractors, um, for, for services, which also opens the door for people to be solopreneurs or do hmm. different types of things on the side. Can you give a couple examples of that? Like outsourcing to contractors? Yeah. So, you know, there's, there's all sorts of examples. Cause what happened is businesses started to realize like, Hey, you know, cause you know, for, for better or worse, sometimes government tells us how, how to run our businesses, which I think the government should stay out of it for the most part. But one of the benefits that came when they closed offices and they said, hey, you can't be around a certain number of people or whatever is, you know, business owners got creative and they said, hey, um, you know, these people can, these people don't necessarily have to come into the office, especially the older group of entrepreneurs and business owners. Because they, they always thought, okay, this person has to sit in this chair. They have to sit here for, you know, this number of hours. And so when they started working from home and they're like, okay, this, this actually works too. We can figure out some ways to make this work. And then they're like, well, man, maybe I don't need to pay benefits or maybe there's a way to, to fill this seat with a contractor that works, you know, a weird schedule a few hours a week. And so I think it created this environment where not only were the employees starting to ask questions about their status and their future, but the employers were also doing that. And so it opened up this perspective. It opened up the perspective of the business owner so that they're like, hey, if I can do this with my employees, maybe there's, you know, something that I can do. You know, maybe I move some of this overseas. Yep. Maybe I have someone taking yep. calls overseas because they don't have to be sitting right in front of me anymore. And um, I, 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 thank you for that point. I love that. What I, I keyed in on one additional thing, which I think is really, really critical is, is startup capital and leverage, right? One of the things that we saw mm -hmm. a real big uptick in with our business, with our business clients was um, the, the need for, you know, continuation of funds, the need for the PPP, the need for the EIDL loans. Are you finding that businesses are not aware of the sources of liquidity that could potentially be available to them, even in these times? Oh, hundred percent. There's, and there's so much, I think there's a lot of money out there for mm. businesses. I really do. I think with, you know, the government just printing money, you know, like there's no tomorrow and um, you know, uh, we, we have this, you know, political environment, which has been going on for decades where, you know, the president gets blamed for the economy. And so we don't want to have a bad economy. We don't want to live through a recession. Right. And so there's all these programs, but there's so much. And a lot of them, I don't even hear about. I, until they go through one of my professionals, either one of my attorneys or my CPA, my CPA has been great at, Hey, Alan, there's this program and there's that mm. program. And it's like, really? They're, they're doing that. And so there are a lot of government programs right now 
some of them through the SBA, um, where people can get access to funds. Um, you just got to jump through the SBA loopholes or, you know, hoops or whatever. And, um, but there, there is, there, there is money out there. You mentioned your accounting relationship. I love that you shared that. One of the things that I find um, with, you know, with our clients when, when we're first meeting them is what I would, I would classify as a lack of coordination and communication from trusted advisory, right? The left hand is not necessarily speaking to the right hand. The CPA might not be speaking with the financial planner or doesn't even yeah. have a relationship with the planner, right? And that creates challenges, lost opportunity costs lack of knowledge of what's available and what's, you know, what people are aware of out there. And I love that you have that relationship with your CPA. Um, mm -hmm. Do you find that the businesses that you're coaching um, or, you know, it, it, you know, pre-existing relationships that, um, that or not, excuse me, not pre-existing new relationships that you have are coming on, have that same lack of coordination and what's the solution there? Yeah. I mean, that's another thing that, that young business owners or early entrepreneurs um, have an issue with the Nats paying professionals. Exactly. And so they exactly. definitely have that gap where they're like, Hey, I'm going to save these few bucks just like they would for, you know, hiring an exceptional employee and they'll put it into marketing. And it took me a while to get caught on to the value of having these professional um, services. And so certainly there are these gaps, right. With, there are a lot of small businesses that don't even keep books. Yeah. They they run it like a, they run their business like a lemonade stand and I'll come in and I'm like, pay somebody to do this for heaven's sakes. You, you can't, you can't um, get to where you're going if you don't know where you're at. Right. And, and so there's definitely that disconnect. And I think it's an ongoing struggle, right? It's um, as you grow um, those disconnects tend to happen and you have to, you have to fix them. We're going through something like that right now. I'm trying to hire, hire a key financial um, person to, to fill in some of those gaps. Mm, mm, I love it. Alan Draper.com at Alan Draper on Instagram, Alan Draper on LinkedIn. We do have a question that came in from Faraz. And it, the question is, do you offer custom made solutions for real estate along with leverage in terms of different countries, or are they specifically for your country? Interest rates and premiums are, are different for us. Yeah. So I, I don't think I understand uh, completely, but I definitely mentor um, folks overseas. Uh, people have reached out to me. There's um, I have a buddy uh, that just, he DM me on Instagram, lives in Italy and has this concept for an online marketplace uh, for high-end uh, clothing. And um, so, yeah, so there's definitely that connection. I know that doesn't get to the entirety of, of his question, but um you know, reach out to me on Instagram, DM me on Instagram, or go to my website, contact me multitude of ways there. And I, I help people from, you know, any country. For us at Alan Draper on Instagram or alandraper.com, get in touch. You can schedule a consultation with him. Question comes in from Jadlin. What have been your most significant, I like this question. What have been your most significant failures and what did you learn from them? Anybody who has been in startups or launched any entrepreneur has experienced those failures, right? It's a question whether or not you learn and scale and grow, but what have been yours? So I've, um, I've made big mistakes with, with partners. Um, personnel in general, in general, per, you know, um, have been some of my biggest mistakes. I always say that some of the, my biggest mistakes and some of my best successes have come from who I've hired and surrounded myself with. Hmm. Um, and there's been everything in between that, right? Those are the things that come to mind, but there's been, I've made big financial mistakes. I, I one time printed several hundred thousand flyers with the wrong phone number on them. Oh, um, no. Kidding. And I did that early. I did <laughs> yeah, that early yeah. when, when I didn't have excess funds. And so there's been a yeah. ton of those mistakes, but the, the biggest ones, the most meaningful mistakes have been, um, with, um, my partners and personnel, both in, um, surrounding myself with the wrong types of people that, that weren't on board with my core values and the visions that I had for my different companies mm -hmm. and with, um, 
the way I, that way I've treated some people I've made mistakes and I've had to go back and say, Hey man, I screwed this up, especially with my partners. Um, you know, you really have to, um, cherish those relationships that, that you have. And so while there's not this direct monetary correlation, like there was on those, the flyers that, you know, had to be thrown out. Um, I think the impact is longer lasting and, um, you know, when you, when you have good relationships with people, it, you naturally have increased desire and motivation to, to do more and, and success in other facets of business can't replace that. If you have bad relationships with, with your personnel or with your partners, it doesn't matter how much money you're making. Hire slow and fire fast. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And I've heard that a million times and I still don't do it sometimes because I can be a softy, um, but <laughs> yeah. it's, it, that is some of the best advice that you could give somebody that is, um, that is, that is hiring and, and trying to scale their business. How do you grow an internal culture with a startup? I mean, you, you start with the owner. So I, I always attribute you, you, an owner can, can kind of delegate most things. Um, pretty much any day-to-day activity, they can't delegate um, the responsibility of developing a culture and a vision and mm-hmm. leading people toward both of those. With with the culture, it's something that you you have to be deliberate about. Um, your company is going to have a culture, whether you do something about it or not. But if you want to have a say in what that culture is, um, with some of my companies, we use our core values when we're, when in a job posting, in a, in the first screening interview, yep. we use them when we're, when we're hiring, when we're firing, we use our core values during meetings. We use them to celebrate people, to recognize people. We talk about them all the time in our marketing. So that's how you do it. Culture isn't a well thing you do once and then you're done. It yeah. is, uh, you, you can, you have to consistently do it and you have to consistently talk about it because the people around you are going to know that your core values actually mean something. If you keep talking about them and you keep celebrating them. I mean, how many times have I mentioned vision and core values during this conversation? 35, right? Yeah. 40. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Hey, Alan, let me ask you that in time integrity, we have a time for just a couple of more questions. This is Alan Draper. We are infinity X Alan Draper.com at Alan Draper on Instagram. Have, what about a pre-existing organization that's doing relatively well for itself or is stable, uh, maybe not necessarily scaling, maybe not necessarily growing, but has a broken culture? How do you fix a broken culture? Yeah. Man, I, th- I think uh, great leadership. And, and I think uh, with a broken culture, I think you have personnel issues. Mm-hmm. And so you and the personnel issues might be from the leadership. And hopefully it's not from the owners. Hopefully it's not from that top level leadership, but you go in there and you clean house, you find out, um, where, where the, you know, where the issue came up and, um, you know, you, you fix it and you, and the, the leaders of the company, the owners have to show that they will put their money where their mouth is and, and they will, they will spend whatever they need to, and they'll, they'll sacrifice bottom line revenue to make sure they clean it up. That is not an easy pill for some business owners and or cultures to swallow either, right? Because many times I've seen it a lot of times, the the business is focused and centered around the top level, right? You know, hey, how can we incentivize exactly. the top level? Uh, the rank and file will come, the rank and file will go. Um, the, the last question I'll, I'll ask before we, uh, we get some parting shots from your brother is mm-hmm. when, <clears throat> you know, one of the, one of the areas that, that my company and I personally have been able to make an impact on culture is introducing things such as financial guidance, right? You know, uh, it's, you know, people right now, the statistics show that people are more concerned right now. They did a comparison. I can't, I can't recall who it was, but somebody, uh, it was, uh, I read, I was reading an article on the other day that people statistically right now are more concerned with outliving their money than they are with contracting COVID-19. 
right? You know, and so it, it, it's still a very, 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 and I think inflation has done a lot to that to open up people's eyes. I think a lot of people are paying attention to what's happening monetarily in the US now, and probably in their own household more so than they have in, in quite some time. But I have found that when individuals are coming into work, with, with the absence of financial concerns or financial burden that, the, you know, that they're more productive, right? I know personally, I am more productive in, 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 in an instant like that. And I think anybody else would be. Um, do you find that it is, it's hard to move the needle uh, with getting those businesses and or those business owners to invest more into, um, the, you know, their key personnel and or the education and the expansion of education with their personnel? No, it's, it, I mean, we, as business owners and as people in general, we create, create these ruts and patterns for ourselves, whether it's what we eat every night, or what time we wake up. And it's just, it, there's no different with businesses. And so if they're not focusing on those things and they're not willing to invest in key personnel and invest in things that uh, create a positive culture, positive work environment, it's going to be them swimming upstream to correct it. And it's not, and a lot of times pe people just shrug their shoulders and they say, well, what, why would I? I have a decent business. I have you know, we're making decent money, bottom line revenue looks fine. And the thing is a great culture and keep and key people will completely change that maybe double line, double, you know, bottom line margins. Um, and so they have to be convinced of, of the why, why do I want to do this? Um, and, and asking yourself why is a big part of being a business owner, because you get to the point several times, especially early on where you're wondering why you're doing this in the first yeah. place yep. and money is not a great motivator. And so you have to, a business owner has to find out what their why is before they're going to be able to, you know, do what it takes to swim upstream and, and fix, fix the things that they're, you know, just used to doing naturally. Yeah. Yeah. I I've heard time and time again, and one of my mentors instilled upon me that your why has to make you cry, right? It's gotta be something that exactly. is so deeply entrenched in you and emotional to you. And yeah. um, let me ask you parting shot. What's your mm -hmm. why? Yeah. So, you know, I've, I've always wanted to build, I've wanted to um, I've, I've wanted to create something out of, out of nothing. Right. I've wanted to, not necessarily out of nothing, but organized resources, right? Um, we've seen over the last couple of years how easy it is um, to destroy and destruct and and tear down, uh, whether mm -hmm. that's emotionally or physically, people, you know, burning down buildings or or whatever. And and so I I like the creative process. Um, you know, I, I I like you know the the confidence that it gives me. I like the the personal development that I'm allowed through, through building and through, through challenges. I, I try to make myself uncomfortable regularly. It's only when we're uncomfortable that we're progressing. And so whether that's in the gym or whether that's, you know, in, in your scholastic studies or whatever, if you're not uncomfortable, you're not progressing. And so that's, you know, th those are a big, a big part of why I'm doing these things. Um, I'm getting to the point, I'm still, you know, I'm not young, but I'm not old. And I'm getting to the <laughs> right. point where my, I'm starting to think about my legacy, right? People think first about just survival. Then they think about freedom. Then they think about, you know, sh showing off what they've made. And then eventually they get to the point financially where they think about their legacy. Yeah. Um, but for me, um, if I lost it all financially, I'd just do it again. This is Alan Draper. We are Infinity X. And um, Alan, I'm going to ask you a personal question. I see a ton of sneakers there in the background, brother. What's your yep. favorite pair of kicks? Yeah, so I'm a big, um, Jor I collect mostly Jordans. I have some Kobe's back there. Uh, right. Maybe rest in peace. Yep, um, rest in peace, Kobe. Yep. So um, I collect exclusively Jordans, but I have a few nice pairs back there. Um, <laughs> Um, I, I have a pair of Jordan sixes. They're Travis Scott's. I'm not a, 
actually I'm not a Travis Scott fan, but the shoes, the, there's some, there's some uh, khaki, British khaki ones back there that I really like. So outstanding. Any, uh, anything Jordan. That's yeah. You can't go when it's when it when it when it's Jordan. You can't go wrong. Yeah, you know, I I respect that, brother. Yeah. Uh, Alan, I've I just gotten such a kick out of uh, our conversation tonight, brother. I really want to thank you. You've dropped golden nuggets time and time and time again. I heard, I heard, I heard vision. I heard purpose. I heard struggle. Right. I heard you know, massive, massive acceleration, but I heard doubling down on yourself, right? That's, and, and I think that you have just embodied to everybody here this evening, what it means to not only double down on yourself, but be intentional with your growth, right? Mm -hmm. Is it Absolutely. fair to say that the majority of the companies that you have ownership in right now, or as you're expanding are an expansion of the original, the, the of the original business? Yeah, I think so because there's so much personality that goes into to a business, and that, I think that goes back to the vision and the core values of the company. Um, and and I believe I was put on this planet to do great things, and I take that that philosophy into into my business into my business endeavors. Now, some companies, some business owners, they just want to do their thing. They want to be a solopreneur. They want to spend more time with their family. They want to take weekends off and there's nothing wrong with that, but that's not who I am. And so that, that kind of thread and my personality, you can see throughout uh, my businesses and through um, the partners that I associate myself with. Well, Alan, I, I have to tell you, um, this conversation has incredibly resonated with me, number one, because I think that our ecosystems, what you've created and what we have over here um, are in real direct correlation with one another. So I really see you in my future, my friend. I think that there's some things that we could awesome. explore to create some magic together. I'd, I, I'm excited to pursue that with you offline. Um, that would be great. But, um, you know, any parting words for the good folks who've remained with us uh, for the last magical hour? <laughs> I mean, more than anything is, uh, if you, if you have an opportunity, uh, you should take it. I think now's the time we we're starting to question things like we were talking about before. And at the end of our lives, I think we're going to regret a lot more the things that we didn't do than the things that we did. Amen. And this is certainly true in business. We sell ourselves short so much. Um, the sky's the limit. One of my favorite things about being an entrepreneur is I, I control my destiny and, um, and so it would just be whatever, you know, the, the listeners are thinking about whatever, um, whatever sign they're looking for from heaven or wherever else to pull the trigger. I'm giving that sign to you. Just go for it. I love it. Denise Dominguez. Thank you for being a loyal, uh, infinity X subscriber. Thank you for joining us, Alan. It has been incredible tonight. Really, really appreciate you. See you in our future. I look forward to connecting and looking to try to co-create with you, brother. Um, and, uh, folks again, Alan Draper Al at Alan Draper on Instagram, alandraper.com. The podcast once again, Alan, uh, podcast is the business growth pod, the business growth pod. And that's what Spotify, all the usual, suspects. everything. Got yep, it. Spotify, <laughs> Apple, Amazon, Pandora, all of them. Well, thank you, brother. Really, really appreciate that. Look forward to co-creating and connecting with you offline. And folks, thank Likewise. you again for spending time with us on another session. We are Infinity X, building stages and microphones to human excellence. We will see you next week on another episode of Infinity X. Signing off, and thanks, everybody, for a good night. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Infinity X. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube by searching We Are Infinity X. Until next time.